Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good, good, good. How's everybody feeling this morning? Everybody good? You coffeeed up? Awesome. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands together and welcome everybody that's tuning in online? Thank you guys for joining us. You're part of our family. Glad you're here. Uh, I want to start off by making a really quick special announcement. I want to say happy birthday to very special Rachel Tony today. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Rachel. Uh, hey, listen, I am, don't, you don't want to miss Mother's Day, okay? We're starting a brand new uh, message series. Uh, we're going to be diving through and talking about prayer, and I promise you it's going to be, whatever it is that you're thinking about, it's going to be a little bit different than what you're thinking about. Um, and next week, if that last statement was false, you can come tell me, and I will gladly say I was wrong. Um, but anyway, you don't want to miss next week, Mother's Day, and fellas, don't screw it up, all right? Don't screw it up. Mother's Day, birthday, anniversary, the three most important days on the calendar, don't screw it up, okay? Fellas, one more time, don't screw it up, okay? Amen, there we go. When I was a kid, my great-grandmother would take me to her church, and we lived in a small town of about 300 people. There were three stop signs and a gas station in my little town, and thank you, somebody knows about that. And, uh, and what's, what's interesting is, is in a town that I, like I grew up in, you don't, the, the, the names of the churches are much more informative than they are inspirational. You're not gonna find a Discover Church, a Celebration Church, a Victory Church in the small town I grew up in. No, 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 very descriptive, not pulling any punches, you know exactly what you're getting. You got three churches, the Baptist Church, the Church of Christ and the Assemblies. And that's the Assemblies of God, if you didn't know. And my grandmother went to the Church of Christ. And at five years old, I, every time I went with her, I was the only person under the age of 80 that was at church on that Sunday. All right? And, uh, and, and my grandmother was the master of like super Jedi discipline tricks. She would yank on the ear sometimes. The worst of all though, how many of you know about this trick? Moms and dads, if you don't know this one yet, it's because y'all have grown up in a, um, you know, an overly PC culture. Okay, and you haven't parented enough back in the day where there was no internet and nobody knew what was going on and nobody cared. Um, but my great grandmother would master this little trick when I was acting up. She would reach her arm, her hand, and slide it underneath my arm right here, and then she would take what could only be described as velociraptor claws and and pinch right now. Just try it right now. Reach over to the person next to you and just pinch. And then, but here's the important part. The pinching is just getting your attention. It's the twist and the pull that, that really makes you pray to Jesus. And, uh, and so she would send me up with the, the, my favorite part of the service was when I got to go join the choir. Got to join the choir. I couldn't read. So I didn't know what we were singing, but it was the only part of the service where I didn't have to sit down and listen to a very uninspiring monotone preacher preach for what seemed like forever. And the irony of it is now is that I'm the preacher that seems to preach forever. Um, and I just try to really not be monotone about it. So in my mind, I'm convinced myself that it's, it's a lot better. But honestly, y'all, when I think about when, you know, up until probably, you know, I was a teenager, maybe even up to I was about 20. Honestly, when I would think about heaven, I would think about my grandmother's church services. And I, I'm gonna be honest with you, there, there's not, 
I kind of felt like, God, if that's what heaven is like, I'm not sure I want to go. I'm not really sure. In fact, I, I don't know that that's not a little bit more like hell, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure, right? And, and here's the other thing. You know, there are some people that I think have tried to help God with, with some brand management when it comes to heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. Precious moments didn't do God any favors, okay? I don't know about you, but when you look at this picture, I mean, that doesn't inspire me to want to go to heaven, I mean, when I think about heaven, I don't think about longing to be a fat, chubby little angel baby with wings that can't possibly hold my body weight, just drifting on a cloud. This one is actually closed. Most of the ones that I, that I saw growing up just wearing a diaper. Like, God, what kind of hope is that? Live the rest of eternity just in a diaper. Why can't we just be naked? I mean, that would just be better. And of all the instruments, man, we're going to be playing a harp. I don't know about you. I'm out. I'm out. And so that's the reason why I want to spend some time because I think there are some misperceptions about some things. And we're in this series. We're, we're second and final message of the series. We're asking the question, what happens after you die? And last week, if you missed it, it was a, uh, uh, it was a powerful message. It was, it was an encouraging message about hell. And, and I, don't, I know if you weren't here last week and um, maybe you hear that, you might go, how can, it, how can hell be encouraging? Um, you know, but I, I, I heard from many of you that said it was really encouraging. You know, I told somebody after the service, told a couple people this, they just like, you know, hey, that was really helpful. That was encouraging. I said, well, good. You know, most of the time when I hear about hell, I would hear the preacher go, the message was basically kind of in a tone like this where, it, you know, God loves you. Can't you feel it? And most of the time I was like, no, I can't. Matter of fact, I'm not sure that I feel kind of like you're mad at me. I don't even know you and you're mad at me. Um, and so if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen to it. I think it'd be really encouraging. And this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how overwhelmingly creative I am. I've titled today's message, Heaven. And that's as good as it gets. I want to start with a little quick, a quick recap from last week. We learned about this truth, that what you believe about what happens after you die directs how you live before you die. That's the reason why it's important for us, even though it's not very fun from time to time to think about death. It's important from time to time to talk about death, um, especially in church, because what you believe about what happens after you die directs how you live before you die. And we learned three things last week about what happens immediately after we die. The first thing that we learned is that our physical body dies, right? The, it just system shuts down. The, the heart stops beating, the lungs start going, the brain stops braining, and, and everything just stops working. Your physical body dies. And then what happens after that is your soul leaves your body. Okay, we are, we, we are more than just a physical being. We are, we have a soul. And, and so when our body dies, our soul leaves our body. And in that moment, we will never have been more alive. And we are in the moment where our soul leaves our body, no longer hindered by the limitations of physical flesh. 
And the third thing that we learn that happens is that you face judgment. We talked about last week that there are two judgments that lead to two different destinations that are determined uh, or intended for two very different people. And, and which judgment you go to, which direction you head after you die is all determined on one important decision. What is the important decision? Well, it comes back to this truth that we've been talking about, that what you believe about what happens after you die directs how you live before you die. All right. And so, so with that, what I want to do is I want to jump into some, some new content this week as we, as we move forward. Last week, we talked about um, the, 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 the great white throne judgment. That's what was intended for everybody whose name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you missed it last week, we talked about how um, the Lamb's Book of Life is God's record, his accounting of all of the people who have placed their faith in Christ for salvation. Scripture says you become a new creation. Jesus referred to it this way, that you were born again, born a second time, that you become spiritually alive. And anyone's name who's not found in the Lamb's book of life goes to the great white throne judgment. But as we move into some new stuff this week, I want to teach you about the where, where people whose names that are found in the Lamb's book of life, people who are born again, people who are saved, who know that they have a relationship relationship with God through Christ, we will go to a place called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when you hear the judgment seat of Christ, that sounds kind of ominous, doesn't it? I guess I'm the only one. I would hear people talk about that and I'd go, ooh, somehow the great white throne judgment sounds sounds a little bit more enticing than the judgment seat of Christ. What is this judgment seat of Christ? Well, well, I know it sounds kind of scary, but I promise you it's not. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this phrase, the judgment seat of Christ, this was this part of the Bible was written by a man named Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he wrote the judgment seat of Christ, what he had in view was something that all of the Jewish people and most of the people in the Roman world would have been very familiar with. He used the Greek term, the Bema seat. The Bema seat. What is the Bema seat? Well, the Bema seat was, was something that was very prominent in, in the Isthmian games. You've heard of the Olympic games. Hopefully we've all heard of the Olympic games. You can nod or respond or raise your hand. This is interactive class. Okay. Um, you've heard of the Olympic games. Yes. Good. Turn to someone and say, I have heard of the Olympic games. I'm familiar. And now turn back to them and go, but you know, you didn't watch them this year because nobody did. Okay. Ooh, I got to be careful. I'm about to spin off into something that we don't need to get into. All right. In Paul's day, in his part of the world, they didn't have the Olympic Games. They had what was called to as the Isthmian Games. Very similar concept, just a different place where it was held. And um, what would happen is, is that when, when runners would finish the race, whatever their race was, whatever the distance was, when the runners, when the competitors would finish their race, they were then rewarded based on how they finished. And so the top finishers would come, they would come and stand on a podium that would be in front of the Bema seat. The Bema seat um, was kind of this, this high and exalted position that overlooked the, uh, the Colosseum or the place where the games were held. And uh, usually the most um, uh, senior government official would sit in the Bema seat. And what would happen is, is the, the uh, contestants, the competitors would come and the top finishers would stand before the person who who 
sat in the Bama seat and then they would be awarded or rewarded based on how they finished. And they would oftentimes be rewarded with crowns that were woven together with, um, with, with different twigs and branches and stuff. Oftentimes it would be a celery plant where they would take it and they would form a crown and they would place it on the head of the people who were the top finishers. Okay, And so is the case that this is very intentional, that, that God wants us to understand that, that the judgment seat of Christ is, is where the believers go after they have died. They come now into the presence of Jesus, and now is the time where they are going to be judged according to how they live. Now, I want to make something really, really crystal clear in this moment, because I'm concerned that some of you may hear what I'm not saying. This is not a, a, um, a, a de- determining factor of your salvation. You are not going to be awarded salvation based on how you ran the race. In fact, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine makes it abundantly clear that it's by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. All right. So our salvation, the, the, the thing that determines whether or not we go to heaven is not at all based on anything that you do. And somebody needs to hear that today because, because sometimes people with good intentions say bad things. Sometimes people with the best of intentions will say things that simply aren't true in scripture. And somebody in here, somebody that's tuning in online, you have been led to believe that whether or not you go to heaven is going to be determined by whether or not you are a good enough person when you are on earth. But hear me clearly, God makes it emphatically and abundantly clear, you could never be good enough to earn your way into God's perfect heaven. God makes it abundantly clear, you must be perfect. And when none of us are perfect, turn to your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. Three of you are nervous to say that to your spouse. Okay? And that's why Jesus died on the cross to pay the perfect price that was required. And in so doing, by faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection, God gives us new life based on not your works, but on Jesus's works. And so God wants us to understand that we are saved by grace, but in heaven, you will be rewarded by your works. What are these rewards? Well, there's a lot of references to different rewards. Sometimes maybe you've heard people refer to your reward is gonna be a mansion in heaven, all right? And there's a place in scripture where people get that um, on five different occasions. Well, at least five different references. Um, the scripture refers to rewards as crowns and um, there's, there's a lot of teaching that's around that. And, but I don't wanna, I don't feel like that's where we need to spend our time today because what I believe is I believe that above any of the things that we could perceive as our reward in heaven, I believe that God wants us to understand that from his perspective, there are two primary prominent rewards when we get to heaven. And the first and most prominent reward when we get to heaven is people. Once you let that set in for just a second, people are the most significant prominent reward for us when we get to heaven. Well, I don't know about that because there's some people I'm not sure I want to spend eternity with. I got a neighbor and God love my hope they get there, but I do not want to be their neighbor when I get to heaven. 
I want my mansion to be on the other side of the tracks and they can be on that side of the tracks. Why is this so important? Here's the reason why. Because people are the ultimate prize to God. Let me personalize this for just a second because there's somebody that's here today, somebody maybe that's watching online and you have been told that you're worthless. You have been told that you are meaningless. You feel like because of what somebody said or what somebody did to you, that you feel like your life has no value, that there is no meaning, that you are overlooked, that nobody cares about you, that you are not significant and that you don't matter. But hear me very clearly, you are God's most prized reward. This is the reason why Romans chapter five, verse eight says, and we've read this verse several times, but it's the reason why it says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we people were still sinners, Christ died. It does not say that while animals were still doing animal stuff, Christ died. It doesn't say that while the mountains and the valleys and the rivers and the oceans were still doing their thing, Christ died. It doesn't say that for a 401k, a bank account, a vehicle, a job, a career, or a plaque or an award is the reason why Christ died. No, no, no. You are God's most prized possession, which is the reason why Christ died for you and for me. What does this mean? It means that when we get to heaven, I believe that, that, that if we can understand that Jesus came to this earth to rescue people, to save people, to help people, that if we can wrap our minds around that, then we will understand that when we get to heaven, one of the greatest rewards that we will have is looking around and seeing the people that we know and love are there to spend the rest of eternity in the presence of God with us. There are people that we know and love that when we, we spend time away from them, we miss them. I spent most of this last week traveling. It was a little bit of a weird, I don't do a lot of travel, but I did a lot of travel this last week and I spent most of the week away from Jess. I spent the entire week away from our kids. And can I tell you, by the time I, was, I got off the plane on Friday, I was so eager, so anxious to get home and see my family because I wanted to be with them. I wanted to hug my kids' necks. I wanted to hear their sweet voices. I even wanted to smell their nasty morning breath. When I got home, I couldn't wait to wrap my arms around my wife and give her a hug and a kiss and tell her that I missed her. Can I tell you, one of the greatest rewards for you in heaven is gonna be able to have the opportunity to spend the rest of eternity with them in a perfect place called heaven, in the presence of God. But what we also realize is that we need to understand that there are also going to be people who are going to be there because of your witness, because of your testimony, because of your faith. There are going to be people that will be in heaven because of you. 
And when you see them, I can't prove this. This is, thus says me, not thus says the Lord. But I believe when we get there, there are gonna be people who you don't know that are gonna come up to you and they're gonna put their arms around you and they're gonna say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for showing the love of Jesus at your work. Thank you for serving my kids back in Discover Kids. Thank you for giving to the church and giving through the church so that so that people in, in, in Columbia where we partner with Compassion to build a Compassion Center right now, it's happening, that people in Colombia can know about Jesus because of you. And they're going to say, thank you that you shared and showed the love of Christ so that I could be, are you kidding me? I get to be here? Thank you. The second most prominent reward that God has for us is position. Now, at first glance, this might seem a little bit odd. I mean, is God really creating a caste system, a a social hierarchy in heaven? Well, first, we need to understand that Scripture says there's no tears in heaven. All right? There's no bitterness. There's no envy. There's no jealousy. Like, that stuff won't exist. Won't that be nice? When we get to heaven, it's just going to be joy. And so the, some of the stuff that causes us heartburn and heartache now, when we compare our lives and ourselves to other people, it, some of those things that cause us heartburn now, it's not going to exist when we get there. And with that as the backdrop, I want to help you understand what is this position? Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says this. It, it establishes before this that we've been adopted. For those of us that have been adopted into the family of God, none of us are born into the family of God. We are adopted into the family of God when we place our faith in Christ for salvation. And it goes on to say, if we're adopted and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You know what this is saying? This is saying that for those of us that are in Christ, every single thing that Jesus Christ will inherit from God the Father will also be inherited by us. Scripture goes on in Revelation chapter three to give us a little bit more perspective on this. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now listen, I gotta tell you, there's a whole lot of deep theology stuff that I don't have time to fully unpack here, but there's a couple things that I want you to understand. The first thing is this, heaven is temporary. Heaven is a temporary place until God ushers in eternity where Revelation, at the end of Revelation, tells us that he's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth that will last. It will be perfect. It will be beautiful. And there will be no sin there. There will only be joy there for the rest of eternity. Now, that's gonna challenge the way some of us have been led to think about heaven and what happens there and all that stuff. So I don't have time to fully unpack that, but I wanna let you know, in 2019, I did a message series called You Ask For It, where I answered a lot of questions that people had. And there was so much stuff to talk about heaven. We talked about what is heaven like part one and part two. So if you, I would encourage you, if this is at all interesting to you, and if I've just rattled your brain a little bit about heaven being temporary, I want to encourage you, go back, you can find it on YouTube, you can find it on the podcast, go back and listen to those, and you can learn a little bit more. But the second thing that we need to know is this, the book of Daniel prophesies that the kingdom of Jesus in eternity will expand across the entire universe. 
And when Jesus in eternity, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, he is gonna rule and reign. And just like people now do, when the people who rule and reign on earth, where they have a position and a place that they rule and reign from, they will identify people to go to different portions of their kingdom to serve as a person of authority to rule and reign in that place. And in eternity, those of us that are in Christ, we will be rewarded with the position of being able to rule and reign with Christ. Jesus' followers, that's what we are going to do for the rest of eternity. We are going to rule and reign with Christ. And to the extent that you are trusted with ruling and reigning will be determined by some things that you do here. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. This is providing a little bit of glimpse, a little bit of perspective about what the judgment, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, the judgment seat of Christ is going to look like. Because when we get there, when our soul has left our body, we're going to stand in front of the Bema seat where Jesus is going to sit and every single thing about our life is going to be shouted from the rooftops. Now, some of us are going, oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. I mean, it's one thing if I said that to my spouse, it's another thing if that's going to be replayed for all of the world and the universe to see. Every single thing that we've done, good and bad, things that we've done publicly, things that we've done privately, they're all going to be exposed and they're all going to be revealed, but they're not going to be exposed or revealed for the purpose of condemnation. No, 1 Corinthians gives us some perspective of what's going to happen. What's going to happen when all of that gets exposed, it gets brought into the light, it says this, according to the grace of God, which was given to you, I'm sorry, was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. This is Paul again. And what he's saying is, is listen, God has sent me out. He is the one who is the chief cornerstone. He is building something great called his church. He is expanding his kingdom. And God has called me to come as a master builder to now lay and add to that foundation. And then he says, and another builds on it. Who is another? That is anybody who is a follower of Christ, you are choosing to build on the foundation that Jesus began, the apostle Paul continued, and everybody between the apostle Paul and you has continued to add one layer after another on this foundation of the ever-expanding kingdom of God across the globe. And he says this, that because we are the other, the another who builds on it, let each one take heed how he builds on it. So what he's saying is, is listen, you, whether you're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, your life is adding to the foundation of what Jesus established for the world to see. So take heed how you build. Take heed what you build. Because when it comes to building the foundation and continuing to expand God's kingdom, it's not just pick and choose certain things. It's the entirety. It's the fullness of our life that is getting added as a brick to the foundation of what God is building across the globe for all the world to see. And when they see you, they see Christ. And so Paul is saying, take heed how you build on it. Verse 12, and if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear 
For the day, which is the day that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. What he's saying is, is that in that moment, you're gonna, you're gonna basically back the dump truck of all the things of your life, everything public, everything private, and it's all going to be laid before the beam of seat of Christ and there's gonna be some sort of fire that we don't exactly know what it looks like and everything that has, that has been attributed to you or to me, everything that we have done is going to pass through the fire. And anything that you have done that was for your own gain, everything that was done for yourself, everything done with selfish ambition and selfish motives, let me make it a little bit simpler. Anything that was done that was not focused on expanding God's kingdom and making God's name famous across the globe, it's all going to pass before the fire like wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to be burned up and it's going to go away. But the things that you did for God's kingdom are gonna be like gold, precious stones and silver, and they're gonna be refined. And when it's all said and done with, that becomes our reward. Notice what it says, verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures the fire, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. What does this mean? It means that there's gonna be some people who are gonna get there and you're in heaven. You trusted in Christ for salvation. You are there and you are in. But what you are gonna lay before Christ is gonna be nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, and it's all gonna be burned up, and there's gonna be no additional reward for you. You're in, you're in heaven, praise God. But there's gonna be nothing in addition to that. And what God wants us to understand is that those of us who are willing to take seriously what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, when he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Those of us who take that seriously, those of us who live our lives in such a way where we are trying to store things up in heaven, I'm not living for the, for the here and now, I'm living for the there and then. And all of the things that we send on ahead, all of the investment, all of the sacrifice, all the things for God's kingdom that we live for the there and then, it's gonna be stored up. And when we get there, it's gonna pass through the fire. It's gonna be refined and we are gonna be rewarded based on what endures that fire. And so what exactly will you be judged on? What, you, what will you be rewarded by? You'll be rewarded by how you treated people. You're gonna be rewarded by, by your motives. Hey, can I tell you, sometimes you can do a right thing and still be wrong because you did a right thing with the wrong motives. You're going to be rewarded by your motives. You're going to be rewarded by the words that you speak. Ooh, that includes social media, y'all. Mm. Can I tell you this? You will be rewarded by how you endured suffering. Jesus said that in this world, in this life, you will suffer hardship. This world is not gonna be sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. The world hated me, it's gonna hate you, get ready. What God wants you to know is that, that we need to be faithful and endure that suffering. 
You will be rewarded by how you use your resources to impact God's kingdom. You will be rewarded by how many people you bring to Christ. And so I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine being in the moment. It's the end of your life. Life is over. Time on earth is done. At some point while your family is grieving your death, your soul will be very much alive and going into the presence of Jesus. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all the things that you've done in your life are going to be exposed and laid before him and all the trivial stuff, the stuff that didn't matter, it's going to be burned up and what's going to come through the fire are going to be the things that God is going to now take and he's going to crown your head with the reward. And what he's going to do when he crowns your head, he's going to say, well done. Well done for enduring that suffering. Here is your reward. Well done for serving and discover kids. You didn't know it, but when you were changing diapers, the mommy and a daddy were in a service hearing about me and surrendering their life to me. Well done. Well done for, for showing and sharing the love of Jesus with your coworkers and that boss that was terrible. Well done. Because you came and visited me when I was in prison. You gave me something to eat and something to drink. Jesus actually talked about this at one point with his disciples and the disciples kind of freaked out a little bit. They're like, wait, hold on. When were you in prison, Jesus? I don't remember that. Jesus said, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do it also to me. What you believe about what happens after you die directs how you live before you die. And what that means for us, for those that are in Christ, how you live will determine the rewards awaiting you when you get to heaven. I want to close the last few minutes that I have today, and I want to read a passage of scripture to you. And the first part of this, I want to read and direct it specifically to my brothers and sisters in Christ who know Jesus and you have a relationship with him. And at the end, I'm gonna pivot and I wanna talk a little bit to, to those that are here and you're wrestling with faith. Maybe you're not sure what to believe about Jesus. I want you to know, I'm glad you're here. Bring all of those questions and, and hangups and problems. You can bring them into this church because Jesus wants you to know you can bring them to him. But what I wanna do today as we close, I wanna read a chapter from from scripture, and I, and I hope in light of what we've talked about today, I hope that perhaps maybe it will carry a new meaning. It's, it's 2 Corinthians chapter five. And this is what it says. It says, for we know that if the earthly tent, it's talking about our bodies, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. He's saying that there's a recognition and an understanding that there are things that we experience and live and endure and go through on this earth as we live this life that cause us to groan for the good things that we've heard about heaven, for the beautiful things that we've heard about heaven, the right, the just, the fair things that we've heard about heaven. Because verse three, when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. There's nothing that we won't have. There's nothing that we will be in want of when we get to heaven. We won't be naked. We will not be in need of anything. We will be fully clothed by the goodness and the presence and the mercy of God. 
For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that it is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He's saying, listen, the things that we're going through, it's it's not that I'm trying to end this. It's not that I'm trying to cut this short. It's not that I'm trying to to just, just get out of here. It's just that I long because I know that the moment that I'm finally able to be in the presence of God, all of the things that that limit and restrict me because of my human condition, because of sin, because of the selfishness inside of me, it's all going to get swallowed up in life. Verse five, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit. What he's saying is, is that it's like an earnest deposit that that Jesus, the moment that you become a follower of Jesus, the spirit of God comes and takes residence inside of our bodies. and, And we have the living God living inside of us. And what God is saying in this verse is that his spirit is like an earnest deposit. He's saying, listen, I'm good for it. I want you to know that all of the inklings of the good things that you hear from me, you hear my spirit speaking to you, telling you that I love you, I see you, I know your hardship. I know your heartache and I know that you're brokenhearted. And that's why the spirit of God is often referred to as a counselor, a comforter, a friend, a guide. And what God is saying is that my spirit in you is an earnest deposit to let you know I'm good for it. And there are better things to come. Live in the confidence of the hope that I'm bringing you tomorrow by the deposit of the spirit of God that I have put inside of you today. And because the spirit of God is inside of you, there is nothing you can't get through today. The Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Verse six, therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul's saying, listen, I, I wish that God would bring me home. Because the moment I'm away from this sin-cursed body, I'm in the presence of the Lord and all of the limitations of mortality have been swallowed up by immortality in the presence of God. Verse nine, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all, here's this verse again, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Paul's saying, listen, we are compelled to live differently because we are convinced of what Jesus did. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's not a good story. It's not a, hey, wasn't that kind of cool? No, no, no. We believe Jesus truly lived. He really died. He really rose from the grave. He validated that he was not just man, but he was God and he paid the price for our sin. And he is the demonstration and the expression of God's love for all of humanity including me. And so because we are convinced of this, we are compelled to live a certain way. Verse 15, and he died for all and that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them 
and was raised again. We're compelled that we can't live selfishly. We're compelled that we can't live for myself. I'm compelled that I can't just do what is convenient, what is comfortable, what is easy. I am compelled by the sacrifice of God to live differently. Why? Because God's greatest prize is people. Notice how Paul continues. So from now on, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. I will never again look at somebody as just my neighbor. I will never again look at somebody as somebody who did me dirty on a deal. Never again will I see somebody who cut me off in traffic with their camel as somebody that I'm just going to be angry at. No, 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 no. I'm just going to look at people from the worldly perspective. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, We do so no longer. You see, I'm now going to recognize and see people from an eternal perspective as somebody that God loves, as somebody that God created. And regardless of what I think or feel about them, the God who sent Jesus to die for me also determined that they are worthy of his sacrifice. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, those who have been reconciled to Christ, the ministry of proving people how smart I am. God, the one who reconciled us, gave me the ministry of of winning debates and arguments on the finer points of theology. God gave us the one who Jesus died. He gave us the the ministry of, 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 of convincing people that my opinion is the only opinion. And if you think anything less, you're an idiot. No. But God who reconciled us to himself through Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Bringing things back to wholeness. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I tell you something? This is the reason why you are not in heaven. The reason why you still have a beat in your heart, the reason why you still have breath in your lungs is not because you've not hit your retirement goals yet. The reason why you are sitting in this place and you're gonna walk out of this place is not so that you can go enjoy a a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Listen to me. The only Reason why God has not called your number, punched your ticket, and taken you home is because he has left you and me here to be his ambassadors, to show and share with the world around us how much God loves people. This 
is what Paul is saying. We must, if we are truly convinced of this, then we must be compelled to live differently, which causes me today, friends, to ask this question. If your life is not compelled, motivated, driven, and fueled for the express purpose of bringing as many people as possible into relationship with Jesus, then could it be that maybe you're not convinced that Jesus really is who he said he is, did what scripture said he did, so that you could be invited to a story that's not limited by your time on earth, but receive an invitation to live in incredible rewards with him in heaven forever. We've got to live different. So who is it that God would send you to be an ambassador to this week? How would you pray for them? How would you show or share the love of Christ with them this week? Because they are the only reason why you are still here. And for those of you that are here and you're not sure where you are with faith, where you are with Christ, I want to finish this. I want you to see how Paul shifts this now at the end of verse 20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Can I tell you, if Paul were here, he would say, if you do not know Christ, if you've never had the life-changing transaction of going into a relationship with Jesus and realize that God isn't mad at you, he's not ashamed of you, He's not afraid of you. He's not upset with you. He loves you, which is why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that whatever it was you were doing last night, you can come into this place and bring it all and lay it before him. And he would say, I love you because while you were still doing that, I knew you were gonna do that and I still sent my son to die for you. And Paul would say, if he were here today, what I'm saying is I am imploring you as if God were speaking through me to you, come to Jesus and experience the life that he died for you to have. Why? Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for you so that in him you might become righteousness, God. For those that are here that aren't sure where you are with Jesus, here's what you need to know. What you believe about Jesus determines where you go. And my Bible says, and your Bible says in 1 John 5, 14, that anyone who believes that Jesus is the son of God, God comes and lives in them and they live in God. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816 
203-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.